Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminally Disturbed. I am Paul. And I'm Jamie. And boy, do we have a doozy for you this week. We have put together a couple of episodes, and we're going to get those uh, recorded and uploaded as quickly as possible. We're going to start with mine. Yes. And uh, do we have any business that we need to talk to, uh, talk about? Just a reminder that we do have an email, so if anybody feels inclined to send us an email... Please be inclined. <laughs> please be inclined to send us an email. It's right. Podcast at gmail.com. And we have an Instagram. Mm-hmm. And it is... So you can look at some instant photos. Some instant photos. Or some Insta photos. Insta Right, so uh, that is Criminally Disturbed Podcast, mm-hmm. and go by and check out our Facebook page, mm-hmm. and that is Criminally Disturbed. And we've also created a YouTube, but we haven't started utilizing it yet. As we keep building more listeners, thank you to all our current listeners and Absolutely. any new ones that are listening. Yes, ma'am. Maybe at some point in the future, maybe we could do a live episode there on, you go. on the tube of you. Like with video yeah oh hell no 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 i don't know about that i don't know about that one because uh you wouldn't be able to edit our mistakes out (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh so i do edit a lot of our mistakes out yeah but i mean but they're not gonna want to see my mug they're not gonna want to see my you're not in. Yeah, they're they're not gonna want to see that. I think they would. Well, if they're like me, I like to put faces with voices. Well, I, I mean, maybe a picture. Alive. <laughs> we'll see. We'll talk about it. We'll be doing it. So mm. y'all just stay tuned. <laughs> Any other business? No, I think that's it. Okay. Well, we're gonna jump right into this. There is. I don't. I don't know. It's probably a little bit better than an hour long. Um, we're going to be talking about the piece of shit known as James Cater. Okay, I've never heard of him. Awesome. But I'm going to trust your opinion that he's a piece of shit. He is a piece of shit. Schoolless. Okay. So before we talk about James Cater, I want to. I want to definitely kind of warn everyone. This one is not as brutal as some that we have talked about, but it does involve children, mm. and, and uh, it doesn't involve sexual or anything like that, but it does involve some brutality towards children. So. Douchebag. Right. And I, I, I want to name these victims, obviously, to, to bring light to them because they deserve it mm-hmm. for what they've been through. So we're going to start on... Uh, June the 22nd of 1968, the area of North Andover, Massachusetts. Ooh. Yeah. I want to go there. I want to go to Massachusetts. I do too. Yes. Definitely want to visit Boston. There's a lot of history in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things to see and learn as you're going through there. Uh, so definitely want to want to visit that area for sure. Kind of particularly in this area, one of the areas that I definitely want to visit is the Bridgewater Triangle. There's a lot of paranormal and a lot of um, a lot of brutal history 
There is. We probably would need to take like some cross necklaces and you know maybe some sage so nothing comes back with us do not no we're not bringing none of them heights back with us (laughs) yeah so yeah um the bridgewater triangle is known Mm -hmm. for its brutal history and a lot of a lot of murders a lot of true crime has happened in the bridgewater triangle there's been a lot of paranormal activity in is, the area is this episode does it have anything to do with the bridgewater triangle or you're trying to tell us why you want to visit it well i thought about that mm-hmm. and and there is a lot right to talk about that happens in the bridgewater triangle but for right now another area that we're that i'm going to mention here in a, in a little bit is in that area okay so on june the 22nd of 1968 between the times of 1 30 p.m and 2 30 p.m 13-year-old Jacqueline Boussier, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. I'm just going to I'm gonna reference her as Jacqueline. Okay. She was walking her bicycle home on a quiet street in North Andover when she noticed that a small, unfamiliar, light blue automobile had stopped in front of her. It was the same car that had passed by her several times earlier that afternoon. Mm. The male driver was standing in the middle of the street, The driver's side door was open, and the engine was running. The man stood facing her and asked for directions to a neighbor's house. As he walked toward her and Jacqueline toward him, he seemed friendly. But when she answered him by turning and pointing to the place he purportedly wanted to go, he covered her mouth and nose with his hand. As she tried to get away, she dropped her bicycle and saw that the man was holding an iron bar. Mm. He then forced the very frightened girl into the car on the floor underneath the dashboard. He immediately got into the driver's seat, put the car in reverse, back down the street, and then turned around at an intersection. Driving very fast, they traveled for about 30 minutes, the last few of which were along a wooded path. The man then stopped the car, pulled Jacqueline out, and walked her further into the woods, He hit her on the back of the head with the iron bar while forcing her to kneel at a stream. Mm. As he tried to force Jacqueline's face into the water, she resisted and grabbed the man's glasses and flung them away. Good for her. She she fought. So, and I'm picturing all this. I'm watching all of this in in the the moving pictures in my brain. And uh, I'm... I'm literally cheering for her to mm-hmm. to do all of this. Fight, fight, believe me. You need to fight. As he retrieved them, she fled, but did not get very far before he grabbed her again. The man then forced her back into the car and drove deeper into the woods. He stopped again, took Jacqueline out of the car, walked further into the woods, and forced her to stand against a tree. The man used strips from a torn bedspread to tie Jacqueline's hands, ankles, and torso against the tree. After 20 minutes of pacing back and forth, he came up behind Jacqueline and pulled the last strip of bedspread very tight against her neck Mm. and then strangled her with his hands. Jacqueline lost consciousness. When she came to, she found that the man had left. So she was alone, slumped over, and bound to the tree okay i was fixing to say was she still tied up yeah okay she managed to untie herself 
and ran until she found help. From there, she was taken home, then to a hospital, and then to the police station. Not a lot is said about how this happens, but she is able to provide police with enough information to identify James Cater as her assailant. Police arrest Cater, who pleads guilty, and he is convicted in February of 1969 for assault with intent to rape, assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, and kidnapping of Jacqueline Bouchier. Mm-hmm. He is sentenced to prison time, but is released four years early in January of 1976. Mm. Okay. James Michael Cater. This piece of shit was born on June the 18th of 1946 in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Around this time, he was a donut maker. And, and look, I, I skip a lot of his life because, number one, I couldn't find a whole lot about his early life, mainly his parents and, and things like this, if he had any siblings or, or anything. I could not find anything. Well, it's probably because, I guess, at that time, he wasn't out there acting a fool, so there was really no need for, you know, his early life to be true followed. Yeah, that's true. So, you're right. And my number two to that is I really don't give a shit about him. That's true. So yeah. mm-hmm. I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time talking about him. But he was a donut maker from Brockton, Massachusetts, which is about 20 miles south of Boston. Mm-hmm. After his release from prison in 1976, Cater began clinical therapy in the Bridgewater area, which is about five miles or so south of Brockton. We're going to shift our focus to a young woman, a young lady, a, a very bright individual named Mary Lou Aruda. Mary Lou. I like that name. I do too, actually. I, I just, as you'll see, I'm, I'm reading my notes here and I, I very frequently refer to her as Mary Lou. I don't ever say Mary. Well, everybody so. else can't see because we're not live. Okay. <laughs> just throwing that back out there. Okay. This is in the Raynham, Massachusetts area, which is about 32 miles south of Boston in the Bridgewater area. Oh, okay. So Mary Lou Arruda was born September the 8th of 1963. Her parents, Joanne and Adrian, had a total of four children. Mary Lou's brothers were Joseph and Tony, and her sister, her name was Karen. She was a high school sophomore. She was 15 years old, and she was a cheerleader. On September the 8th of 1978, Mary Lou's birthday, Mm. her 15th birthday, she was riding her orange 10-speed bike around her neighborhood. You know, 70s kid shit. Well, yeah. She's riding down Dean Road, which is a dirt road that is really close to her home about 4 30 p.m a young boy finds her bike abandoned on dean road and knows that it's mary lou's he takes it back to her house and tells her mom that he found it on dean road joanna aruda immediately knows that something is not right and she contacts police at that very moment david bonaparte he's a police officer with the Raynham, Massachusetts Police Force. Mm-hmm. He hadn't even been to the academy yet. Oh, so he's like fresh. He's, he's like 
you know, brand new. Right. He went against regular procedure and the 24-hour rule and responded immediately to this. Good for him. Yeah. So, and, and I'm going to tell you something. This plays a huge part in this case. Okay. Okay. Bonaparte and the rest of the police department are able to preserve the crime scene, including the area of Dean Road, a dirt road, uh, where Mary Lou's bike was found. It is stated that this reaction time and preservation is what stopped what could have been a long history of killings. Wow. Okay. The investigators are able to take photos of some tire tracks in the dirt road. The tire tracks appear to be from a vehicle that was accelerating away from the scene. Mm -hmm. They noticed that one of the tracks seemed uh, to show an irregular wear pattern. Hmm. Investigators also found a Benson and Hedges cigarette butt. Oh, shit. Several witnesses were interviewed in the area. They reported seeing a green car with a black or silver racing stripe driving around in the area they also reported seeing the male driver and described him as having dark curly hair and dark trim glasses he was not being inconspicuous at all oh no okay they said that he drove by in the area multiple times one witness stated that she saw the car with the man drive away from the area with something quote bulky in the passenger seat mm-hmm An extensive search effort is launched for days, which included hundreds of people, volunteers, police officers, and police dogs. A couple of days after Mary Lou's abduction, police put out a composite sketch of eyewitness accounts of the driver in the car. They also release information about the car to the public. A few days later, police get a tip about a possible match to the composite sketch and are able to obtain a photo of this person. And remarkably, the photo they obtain of James Cater is strikingly similar to the sketch. Mm, okay. Now, look, I, I want to—I just want to say, going forward from here, mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to talk about some things, and, and we may laugh about some things. We don't think anything about this case is funny. We don't think that anything about James himself is is funny other than, you know, he's a huge douchebag and, uh, you know. Yeah, I so, mean, if you're out there being a douchebag doing stupid shit that you shouldn't be doing, then I'm going to fucking laugh at you. Absolutely. If you didn't want to be made fun of, don't be out there breaking the law. Right. So, you know, I we make light of a lot of things when we're doing these, but I'm going to tell you something. If you didn't. You couldn't. No. You couldn't talk about these things. No. I mean, if, if we were serious all the time, we wouldn't be able to do this. You know what I mean? Right. We would probably need to um, just have a psychologist come live with us. Absolutely. So that's what I'm saying. Don't take our comedic uh, banter about these things as a lack of seriousness about the crime. Right. Okay. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there. Police start looking into the background of James Cater, and they find a history of violence. Oh, okay. Years prior to this, James Cater attacked a 63-year-old woman with a fucking chair leg. Why? And he attempted to rape her. Oh, no. 
a chair leg. Oh, okay. She was at the cemetery visiting her dead husband's grave. Oh, no. That's horrible. I, when I say piece of shit or douchebag or what, that's mild. So this he's, he's going to escalate. This dude is an asshole. Yeah. She was able to escape, though. Uh, th- thankfully, she was able to escape. Police also were able to find the details of Cater's past prison sentence involving Jacqueline. Okay. And the details thereof, mind you. Okay? Okay. Police found that Cater, who is 31 at this time, had gotten married on September the 9th, the day after. The day after Mary Lou went missing. To an 18-year-old. He married an 18-year-old. He was 31 at the time. Probably so. I'm seeing it as she was submissive and he was in control. I mean, to me, that would be the only reason for that age difference. Maybe. You're right. So, once married, the day after, I remind you, he left the country for a honeymoon. Oh, okay. He returned a week later and was informed probably by neighbors or friends or whatever he was informed that the police were looking for him in connection with the disappearance of mary lou aruda mm-hmm. james cater accompanied by his attorney and new bride go to the police station to talk with police i mean openly just you know oh shit i need to go talk to them i need to get a, get you know in front of this thing and you know could you imagine being his <clears throat> wife well i'm sure he's probably told her oh no baby there's nothing to it so she's probably like they got the wrong guy why are they coming after my man right they got the wrong guy you know he's probably you know and she's probably the one that says if if you're not the guy you need to go in there and tell them oh that's true but you need to bring your attorney to make sure that you know yeah you, you know he just walks into the random police station like hey here hey I am. you know let's let's talk you know uh-huh Random police chief Lou Pacheco remembers this vividly, Mm. and he said, quote, I will never forget it as long as I live. When he walked into the station, I said to the other detectives, you're not going to believe this, but our composite just walked into the station. Could you imagine? I know, right? I mean, they all said that he was eerily, he looked eerily similar Mm -hmm. to the composite sketch to a point where it looked like the drawing, the fucking piece of paper drawing, walked into the like police just, station. Like he just sat up off the piece of paper and was walking. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Cater would begin uh, being questioned, and when asked by police if they could search his car, he agreed. His car, it was a bright green 1976 Opal Cadet. I've never heard of those. With a black racing stripe. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the Opal Cadet. Mm-hmm. All right. I did some some research on this little car, mm-hmm. and it is a little car. Uh, and actually, at, it's a originally German made, uh-huh. but I think Buick picked it up. Buick. Buick. <laughs> um, I think they picked up the production of it. Uh, sometime in the 70s, maybe early 70s or something like that. How long did they make them? Uh, late 70s, I believe. 
So like maybe a couple of years. Well, they actually they actually are still making opal, but just not these. Well, these particular models they're not making those anymore. But this particular model was actually a sports car. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's it's cool looking. I mean, you know, he was trying to compensate for something. I don't like when people say that. Well, no, I'm saying that because I'm doing a dig at him. Oh no, I'm not saying in general. I know. I just, it may, maybe he was, I don't know, but because I've had sports cars and I've had big, big trucks and a lot of people, when I hear them say, maybe he's compensating for something. No, I'm not compensating for shit. I just like big trucks. Right. But I, I don't like sports cars. But that comment wasn't directed at you. <laughs> no, it I was know. directed at douchebag. <laughs> I know. I know. But I don't know. I, maybe he is, maybe he's not. I don't know. But it's a cool little looking little car. Okay. Um, I, I did find a picture of it and um i was gonna show you that mm-hmm. picture that's it sitting in the driveway it looks like a little dotson you know what i mean yeah i don't like it it looks like a little Datsun. it does look like a dot it does though. it really does it's very similar looking to a dotson or maybe a, a toyota corolla from back in you know the 70s so but anyway during the investigation of cater's car police did obtain some evidence Oh, shit. In the trunk, they found a couple of newspapers, the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald, both open to stories regarding Mary Lou's abduction or disappearance, Mm -hmm. which was under some luggage. They noticed a scuff mark on the front fender of the car that, when measured, was 30 and a half inches from the ground. Oh, they also noticed that the right front tire of the car had a very irregular wear pattern. Upon further investigation, they determined that this irregular wear pattern was being caused by a bad wheel bearing on that wheel, which is something that I've had to change in my lifetime mm-hmm. several times, is bad wheel bearings, which will cause your tires to kind of lean mm-hmm. one way or the other, or tie rod ends or something like that that'll cause a tire to kind of lean in or out and it'll cause either the outside of your tire to wear faster than the inside or vice versa i have very extensive knowledge of that because i've had to do all that they also found two cartons of benson and hedges cigarettes oh shit he had them smokes he had them in his smokes. car that they had found at the scene. Aren't those predominantly menthol? I have no clue. Don't know anything about cigarettes. Don't smoke. Okay. No, you chew. Yep. Cater maintains his innocence and provides an alibi. He claims that he was running errands all over town and was able to give police specific locations that he visited that day. Now, on November the 11th of 1978, this was just like nine weeks or so two boys were riding their dirt bikes in the freetown fall river state park which is near the bridgewater area Mm -hmm. uh, when they came across a decomposing body tied to a tree oh no they immediately got to where they could contact police and led them in to where they made the discovery the body was quickly identified as Mary Lou Arruda. She had been tied to the tree from head to foot in a standing position while still alive, and she was fully clothed. Medical examiners believe that at some point Mary Lou lost consciousness, 
and the ligature holding her neck to the tree caused strangulation by positional asphyxiation, which means she lost consciousness and the weight of, of her head strangled her. Strangled her. Mm. By the ligature that was tying her neck to the tree. So he's getting these young girls and he's not actually like touching them like in a sexual way. Well, that was I was fixing to bring that up. I'm so sorry. yeah, okay. they they had determined that Mary Lou had died on the same day that she had went missing. There was no clear evidence of sexual abuse, but the body was in an advanced state of decomposition so they probably now, really couldn't tell yeah well and and i did see a lot of the medical examiner's reports and things they could not see any vaginal tearing or anything like this and and obviously with the decomposition uh, I, you know they probably couldn't see her hymen or anything to see if she had you know lost her virginity or anything like that so they did rule out sexual abuse. Okay. So, and the other, uh, Jacqueline, also, I, I don't think there was any reports of sexual abuse there as well. Okay. So, um, so yeah, no, nah, I don't, there was not any of that. No touching, no anything. I, and so, it is never really even found out as to why the fuck he did this. Yeah, because I'm in my mind. I'm thinking. I mean, obviously, it's a, a torture thing, but you know, usually torture kind of goes along with sexual something sexual. Yeah, yeah. You would think. You know, you would have some kind of infatuation with the victim, or right. you know, or something. Why in the hell? Or here's the other thing too. Um, with Jacqueline, mm -hmm. he, she, she, he, he strangled her. Mm -hmm. manually strangled her which is a crime of passion as you know but as she lost consciousness he stopped mm -hmm. and uh, you know pacing back and forth and then he left the scene she comes too okay and that could have been because maybe she was the first one that he did that way po well that we know of well yeah, yeah that we know of right but so that's the, what I'm thinking. Right. So did he think that, that Jacqueline was dead at that point? And so he thought that he killed her. Oh, now that's here's Yeah. So that's the thing is, is he meaning to do this or did he know she was still alive, but unconscious? And then he left, left her for dead. Hmm. That's a good question because I would have thought that if he did that but left her alive, that maybe he would have went somewhere a little further away where he could see her, but she couldn't see him, so he could actually, you know, just watch her suffer. Watch her. But it's obvious he didn't because she was able to escape. Right. Because we've we've actually talked about this at great length in previous episodes about strangulation, and mm -hmm. it takes a long time. Right. Because you got the pressure on one's neck and then they pass out. Mm -hmm. You have to continuously apply that pressure for minutes mm -hmm. more. Continuous pressure for minutes in right. order to kill that person. Well, she, you know, like Jacqueline, she lost consciousness, and he just left. Mm -hmm. So if Mary Lou loses consciousness and he leaves, 
but she is strangled by her ligatures. So did he mean to kill her? You know, was that his intent or did he just leave her? I'm thinking he did because, I mean, it's obvious he probably knew that Jacqueline had gotten away Mm -hmm. because I'm sure maybe it would, maybe there might have been a small article about it. And maybe then he was like, oh, I need to tie another ligature around the neck area. Maybe. Maybe. I don't don't know. Yeah. And obviously she was tied tighter being that she couldn't get loose like Jacqueline did. Right. And we don't know. That's the thing is it never comes up. We're just sitting here speculating. Yeah. So during this time, Cater was named as the prime suspect. Well, no shit. The police were able to disprove his alibi through investigation and found that he was not where he claimed to be on that day. I'm so surprised. With all of this evidence, in December of 1978, police arrest James Cater for the abduction and murder of Mary Lou Arruda. Now, during the trial, Cater would testify on his own behalf, stating that he did admit to the incident in 1978 with Jacqueline, but was innocent of this crime. Bullshit. That's what he claims. Now... Hold on to your butts because Hold on this, to your old shit handle. This is about to get crazy. No. The prosecution would bring up many witnesses, one of which was William Bodziak, who was an expert witness who specializes in prints and tracks. Bodziak would testify that the irregular tire track found at the scene would match the front right tire of the defendant's car mm, okay the 1978 opal cadet damn his car snitched on him yeah his car just snitched that car is not ride or that's die right. that's right that car is <laughs> fixing to get some stitches <laughs> the prosecution would also show that the handlebars of mary lou's bicycle mm-hmm. were 31 inches from the ground which was the reason for the scuff mark on the front fender of Cater's car. So he came up beside her and hit her he, with his vehicle? they That's what the prosecution, that's the story that they told, is that he actually rode up beside her and used his car to knock her off of her bike. I can see so, that. Yeah. So in June of 1979, James Cater is convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Bye, bitch. He is also convicted of kidnapping and is sentenced to 10 years to be served after his life sentence. Okay, so he's got to die and come back and serve them 10 years. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I don't understand that. I don't know (laughs) why they do that, but they do, you know. Are they going to kill him again after them 10 years? Uh, Maybe. I, I don't know. Okay. But wait. There's more. Okay. Now, the Constitution of the United States, it does have something in it called the due process. Yeah. All right. And through this due process, you have the right to an appeal. Right. And he does appeal. Of course he does. Through that appeal process, Cater's conviction is overturned. What the fuck? By the Supreme Judicial Court of Appeals, stating that testimony from several eyewitnesses was entered into evidence unlawfully, (laughs) 
since it was taken by hypnosis. Yep, you heard right. They hypnotized the witnesses to try to extract additional details of what they saw, like what kind of car they saw, what color it was, and what the license plate number was. Oh, okay. I don't know how I feel about that. Okay, so I don't know how to even expound on this because I understand that they were trying to grasp more detail. Okay, was it lime green or was it bright green or was it hunter's green? You know, well, I don't really remember, uh, you know. Okay, did you did you see the license plate? Yeah, I saw it, but I don't remember the license plate. I mean, can uh, you... you know, can you give leading questions up under hypnosis? I've never been hypnotized. Well, they're trying to, when they hypnotize you, they're trying to get tap suppressed into memories. That, yeah, tap into the suppressed memories to see if that can come out. Right, but right. I mean, in that case, can you really lead somebody like, was this a green car or a blue car? Well, you know what I'm saying? I think that they're they're trying to, what color green was it? What do you remember from that day? Mm-hmm. And they're trying to get that more detailed information away from them or, or out of them. Sorry. Right. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to figure out why it was thrown out. Because if you can't lead uh, that, you know, if you can't lead somebody under hypnosis, then why was it thrown out? Uh, so. Tell me. In Cater's successful appeal... The Supreme Judicial Court ruled in 1983 that hypnotically aided testimony could not be used to convict Cater, but it said the witnesses could testify at a second trial about anything they remembered before hypnosis. So basically, the person who hypnotized them and recorded the information that evidence could not be brought into trial. However, the eyewitnesses could testify to what they saw that day. Now, what was brought out in the hypnosis could not be used. So they, so apparently during the hip, hypnotic trance that they were in, there was more detail that was brought out. And it further linked Cater to this disappearance of this girl. So basically what they could say is before hypnosis is I saw a guy in a car, whereas they couldn't say like after hypnosis, I saw a guy in a green car with a stripe and blah, 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 blah. Well, they said, they said, okay, so the first account was I saw a green car with a black or silver racing stripe driving down the road. Mm -hmm. And probably, and this is speculation, okay, in the hypnosis I saw a lime green car with a black racing stripe going down the road, and the license plate was blah, 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 blah. You see what I'm saying? So it yeah. was even further more detail of what the, what was said. And apparently, even the license plate matched. So they saw it, and so the suppressed memory was brought out in hypnosis, and so that was brought to court, and Cater says, oh, bullshit, uh, that's unreliable evidence. You can't rely on hypnosis or hypnotically aided testimony. And 
the Supreme Judicial Court agreed with him, and so he was granted another trial. I'm just trying to, okay, now at this point, now that you said all that, now I'm trying to wonder, trying to figure out why they would have seen the need to put him under hypnosis anyways. Because if they said they saw a green car with, you said, a gray or black stripe. You would think that that would be enough, right? To me, that would be enough. Well, they were going for the home run here and and trying to get everything. And I think that's probably, I think that they had enough. I, I think I'm not a lawyer. I'm mm-hmm. not a prosecutor or anything. I'm not a judge. But I would think that if they saw a green car with either a black or silver racing stripe, maybe that was enough. But maybe the defense was like, there's a lot of green. That was going to be my next there. thing. Maybe they thought they had to get more detailed if there was a ton of cars in the area with racing stripes. That's what I'm saying. Right. Because it is reported that one of the eyewitnesses when she was initially questioned Mm -hmm. called it a camaro that's definitely not a camaro it's not a camaro it doesn't even look like a camaro from the 70s so but a lot of people don't know car models that's right that's right i mean men and women out there alike they they just you know can can misread what a car is easily but the thing is, is, you know, they needed they needed more. Yeah. They needed more. I can see. Because there's a, there's a lot of green cars out there. Yeah. Okay. They got that license plate through his no hypnosis, I bet. You, that's what led this to all of this is they got that license plate. Yeah. So, anyway, he's granted a new trial. Mm. Also, during the uh, this appeal process... Cater argued that the testimony involving involving his prior conviction, though strikingly similar, was unconstitutional and should not be admissible in court. How's he figure that? I mean, that's showing that he has a, um, what's the word? Violent history? Yeah, a history. A past of aggression towards women? Yeah, a history (laughs) of doing this, doing the exact same thing. Yeah, I know. The exact same thing. Yeah. And so... He saw that as damning evidence that should not be admissible. Well, bitch, you shouldn't have done it again. And he was granted that. (gasps) No. Yes, ma'am. In 1986, James Cater is brought to court again, and he is convicted again. Oh, but he was convicted again? He was convicted again, (laughs) and he appeals again, and he wins again. What in the hell is going on? They did the exact same thing, so the appeals court again overturns the conviction and grants him another trial. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. They did the exact same thing, brought the evidence in, because the judge over the case actually let the evidence come into trial, and he is convicted again. And he appeals again, and the Supreme Judicial Court says, "No, you can't do that shit." We done ruled on it that we you done didn't ruled do on it. this shit. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, Cater goes to trial again in 1992. He just needs his own courtroom. 1992. This happened in 78. Mm-hmm. And here he is going to trial again in 1992. This time, there's a different outcome. The trial ends in a mistrial due to a hung jury. Oh, hell. (laughs) A hung jury. 
So somebody on the jury thought that he was innocent of this shit. Mm-hmm. Really? I would like to know why they thought he was innocent. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I, I literally was trying to find a lot more information into these the different cases. Mm-hmm. I, I was trying to find it. There is just, you know, yeah, I was able to find the court documents of the where he appealed and they granted it and then he, you know, but they didn't say we interviewed the juror that was against this or jurors that were against it. And, and I couldn't find it, mm-hmm. you know. So he would have to be brought to trial again. In 1996. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so we're close to almost 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This Homie, is 18 years later. He should have no. just did that life no, sentence. No, wait a minute. This is not. Yeah, this is 18 years later. He should have just done the life sentence. James Cater goes to, because he's being held this yeah. whole time. He's in jail. Uh, in 1996, James Cater goes to trial again. During this trial, Cater's lawyer, Joseph Krauske, asserted that the random teenager was a victim of cult activity and that Cater was the victim of overzealous prosecutors who piled trifle upon trifle of evidence to create a case. So they was trifling. They was trifling asses. He promised jurors they would hear from a witness who saw more than 20 people carrying torches into the dark woods around the time Miss Aruda was killed, and there would be evidence that there were other parties in those woods doing weird things. Unlike previous trials, though, Mr. Cater's criminal record would be admitted this time. So it would be allowed this time. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they tried this thing again, basically bringing up the exact same evidence mm-hmm. that they did before. Uh, this time, the difference was is that they were able to bring up the criminal record, which included the case with Jacqueline and his previous conviction, mm-hmm. which was, like I said before, strikingly similar right. to this case. On December the 22nd of 1996, James Cater is found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life without parole again. So what, again. did he get the additional 10 years again for the kidnapping? It doesn't matter. He's fucking old by this time. Oh, okay. So he don't have to die and come back and do something else. He just got to die. Yeah. So he was tried four times for the same crime. And he had a total of seven appeals. I mean, to me, hindsight 2020, it is all of that was a waste of time because they found him guilty anyways. Mm-hmm. However, I can understand the point in having an appeals process because there are, unfor- unfortunately, a lot of people wrongly convicted of things that are in jail. Uh vincent simmons exactly so So, yeah i agree i I agree that there obviously needs to be an appeals process but yep yeah i agree okay like i said he had seven appeals with the latest being in the years 2000 and 2007 what all of which failed 
Wow. Okay. James Cater was sentenced to do his time at Shirley State Prison in Massachusetts. Shirley. However, on January the 9th of 2016, he became ill and was transferred to Lemuel Shuttick Hospital, where he was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And uh, it never really said which kind of cancer that he had. Of the butthole? He might have, yeah. On January the 23rd of 2016, James Cater dies in the hospital having succumbed to the cancer that I hope made him suffer for a long time before his death. Mm, yeah. So. Because you know Mary Lou did. You know she suffered. Oh, yeah. Before she died. She did. And she had to have. Yeah. I just, I know it's not enough and it, and it's not going to bring her back. No. But, but uh, you know, I'm. I hope that he did suffer mm -hmm. in pain, agony. Upon notification of uh, Cater's death, Mary Lou's mother Joanna Aruda said, "I believe that there is a heaven, and I believe that there is a hell, and I hope he rots in it." That's right. Savage. Mm -hmm. I would. I would be the same way. Mm -hmm. Now, I did find an article. That after one of his appeals uh, that was granted and, and he was uh, granted a new trial, one news article uh, from newspapers.com. Thank you very much. <laughs> I told you. Yeah. That that's going to be your buddy. Right. News article from the Boston Globe on August the 25th of 1979. What? That's a good year. Yeah. Yeah, that's the year you were born. That is the right. year the earth was blessed with me. <laughs> Mother of slain girl attacks Cater. What? Yeah. Screaming, rat scum, you murdered my daughter. Joanna Aruda attacked convicted murderer James M. Cater yesterday as he left the courthouse where he had asked for a new trial and a new lawyer. Aruda of Raynham mother of Mary Lou Aruda, leaped forward at Cater as his guards were taking him from Bristol County Superior Courthouse. Aruda thrust a burning cigarette down Cater's shirt as he was being <laughs> taken through the parking lot. She was trying to light his ass on fire. She said, I'm going to get you, motherfucker. Guards ordered Aruda and her family back, and Cater was driven back to Norfolk State Prison. That's where he was originally being held. Witnesses said Cater did not appear to be seriously injured. Damn. I mean, shit. I wish you would have fucking gouged his eyes or something. Oh, I you know. know. Judge James P. McGuire refused to rule on the motion for a new lawyer until a new one can be retained. The judge continued to continued the trial motion until September the sixth. That is awesome, because you know we yeah. we always see like when it used to, um, which it still does. They do still have ep uh, episodes on YouTube Court TV. Yeah, and we see the people in there, and the defendant has done something awful, either usually to kids or whatever, and we see the children's family and you know and they get up and they try to attack the defendant but there's always guards around and they can't get them but we're always like damn guards just let that let them, guy get him get, one let hit. him get him yeah just just for a couple of seconds just let him pound on them for just a couple of seconds and then pull them off and then go yeah. about the business yep i'm right. so glad 
I'm so glad she was able to do that. Yep, I know. So uh, good for her. Good for her. I know, again, I know it doesn't bring her daughter back, but I I can't say that I wouldn't do the same thing. I know. You know? Yeah. So um, now look, I wanted to kind of, there's some notable things Mm -hmm. that are attached to this case. Uh, Obviously, the victims are notable, (laughs) okay? And I'm not trying to cast shade on, on, on the victims by bringing up these other things, okay? Okay. But uh, there were some very notable things. Now, one of the things actually does involve Joanna Aruda, mm-hmm. which I think is fucking savage of her. Every year on September the 8th, while he was in prison, on her daughter's birthday, Joanna Aruda calls the man convicted of murdering her child and leaves the same message for him as a reminder. Quote, Mary Lou is urgently trying to reach him. <laughs> She fucking calls the prison what? and leaves a message for him <laughs> that Mary Lou is urgently trying to reach him. Oh, my God. That is fucking great. That is awesome. She is making sure oh, that yes. her memory stays alive oh, yes. in his brain. Yep. That is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Good for her. So... Yeah, that I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah. So somebody else that I mentioned in in this case, before he was an FBI expert witness, mm-hmm. William Bodziak, mm-hmm. he was an expert witness about the uh, tire track that was found on Dean Street. He testified on the shoe print at O.J. Simpson's trial. What? <laughs> yeah. He was an expert witness brought in to testify on the shoe print found at the scene. Yeah. So, fuck. Yeah, that was awesome. Now, here's something else. And this is going to really kind of, it kind of blew my mind. During the trial, Dr. Park Dietz was brought in to assess Cater's mental condition. Dr. Dietz, and I hope I'm saying that right. I'm sorry if I'm not. He was also involved in the following cases, and this is just a few, okay? Okay. Spousal killer Betty Broderick. <gasps> oh, shit. Serial killer Joel Rifkin. Okay. Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, okay. The Unabomber Ted Kaczynski. Oh, wow. William Bonin. Wow. Andrea Yates. <gasps> oh, Oh, that's a horrible one. The Waco Siege. Dietz prepared a written opinion that stated that further negotiations were not likely to resolve the crisis and that Koresh would likely continue abusing the children. Upon this this opinion, Attorney General Reno, who was known as a child advocate, approved the assault on April the 17th, 1993 on the compound based on the opinion of Dr. Dietz. Wow. So that's why they attacked Waco. That's correct. Yeah. And most notably, Dietz was an expert witness for the prosecution in the case against John Hinckley Jr. and his attempt to assassinate President Ronald Reagan in 1981. Wow. Yeah. So this guy has handled some high-profile stuff. The highest yeah. of profile cases. Yeah. There was several more. 
and I, I wasn't going to get into all that, but this, just those names, Jeffrey yeah. Dahmer, I mean, shit, Betty Broderick, mm-hmm. seriously. That's a crazy story, too. I know, it is. So that is the story of James Cater, the piece of shit. Wow. But it is also the tragic, tragic story of Mary Lou. Of Mary Lou Aruda. Yeah. So, what'd you think? I have never heard of this. This was crazy. Yeah. This is one of those stories that is uh, often mentioned in the Bridgewater Triangle mm-hmm. deal. This is this is just one of those things because that state park is in the Bridgewater Triangle. It happened in the Bridgewater Triangle area. And so there's a lot of Bridgewater Triangle things that yeah. are, you know, and this, this is mentioned in that a lot, briefly, but uh, I wanted to bring light to it for sure. Yeah. Uh, Mary, for Mary Lou, for Jacqueline, for, you know, all the people that were involved in this, not the piece of shit that's involved. but For um, Mary Lou's savage-ass mama. Absolutely. Heck yeah. Joanna, God dang, she is savage. Damn. Threw that cigarette right at him, said, motherfucker, I'm going to get you. She is straight up thug uh-huh absolutely yes. get his ass get him i probably would have jumped in and helped her pushed her into him Heck you know yeah. let's get him let's get him i'd have mm-hmm. been right with him what right, right with her i mean so because i mean at that point <clears throat> and this is kind of a uh, a slippery slope at some point I'm kind of like, why does that person need guards? You know what I'm saying? Why are we trying to protect him? But at the same time, if it's somebody wrongfully convicted, then it's kind of like, yeah, they need guards because they need to have time to fight out their case. But at the time, at the time that he was being transferred where where she where she got to him at, Mm -hmm. his conviction, he was actually going for a new. He was basically being granted a new trial right and you we, know and we know in this is instance and in his um but his she, this is it this is the the victim's mother i right. mean regardless of that this is the person in her mind that has that has killed her daughter right and i mean in all the evidence I'm, i mean you can't be any more obvious than that that it sure. was him sure so absolutely i mean there's shit in there that just points right to him there's stuff at the scene the tire mark That's alone. That's what I was fixing to say. The yeah. fucking tire. The tire mark alone. I mean, would in my eyes, that tire mark, the fact that it was a green car yep. that was seen, mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter that it was an Opal or the license plate or anything like that, or the fact that the driver that they said was a dark, curly-haired man with black rim or dark rim glasses, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Which, by the way, something I didn't mention, one of the things uh, that I also found is that uh, one of the reports, they said that there was a, another two pairs of his dark rim glasses in the, gl- in the glove compartment. Why you need that many pair of glasses? I don't know, but I'm just saying. I mean, everything was there. Mm-hmm. Everything was there, and without hypnosis. Right. So that was, should be enough. Now, yes, there's other green vehicles out there that probably match that. There's other green vehicles that are driven by a dark, curly-haired man <laughs> with man. with dark rim glasses. Okay, yeah, that's a you know that's a coincidence. But I mean, but he damn. was already tied to joanna when you bring this in right when you bring his past conviction with jacqueline into this and you did the same i said joanna didn't so 
I'm sorry. I said Joanna. Joanna, Jacqueline. It, yeah, but yeah. I mean, yeah, you were already tied to that, and then you go out and do the same exact fucking thing. Same thing. I mean, same thing. Come on. It's just way too coincidental, mm. and there's just way too many things that line up in in against him. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. But you can sit here and say there's there's multiple green cars out there. Okay. Are there multiple green cars out there with the with two newspapers in the trunk that are open to this case? Right. Are there multiple green vehicles out there driven by the exact same looking person? Right. And are there multiple green vehicles out there driven by the same looking person with the newspapers that has the same cigarettes in them? Come on, man. I mean, it's it's just way too much that adds right. up. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That has the same exact wear pattern on the same side tire. Right. Of the, way yeah. too, too coincidental. And the scuff mark. And the scuff mark. Yeah. That, I mean, come on. I know. It's just too much. Yeah. So you can do all you want to, but it's just, it's in line. And... A jury of your peers has convicted you three separate fucking times. Three times. Sorry. Bye. Yep. Die, motherfucker, die. So, he did. He anyway, did. he did. He did. And I hope it was painful. So, this is in memory of Mary Lou Aruda. Mm-hmm. We hope that you are definitely resting in peace up yes. in heaven. You angel. And I hope that your assailant is rotting in hell. Yeah. You piece of shit, James Cater. That's right. So uh, I just want to remind everybody of our email, cdisturbedpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us, like us, and everything on Facebook. Like us. Like us. And that is Criminally Disturbed. Oh, and also I want to point it out by about the email. If you have any stories like from your hometown sure. or anything that you're just interested in hearing about, I mean, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Let us know and uh, share your thoughts on this story or others. And um, oh, and our our uh, Instagram is criminally disturbed podcast. Mm-hmm. So hit us up. And don't forget that whatever platform that you're listening to us on, write us, write us, and leave us a comment or anything like that. Uh, let's uh, we we need to hear from you. We need to hear from you. Right? How can we get better? How can we make your life better? Yes. Through this podcast. Yes. So. And I'll keep in the meantime. I will keep working on this one that's across the table from me about us doing a live. I don't know about that. We'll have to talk about that. Whatever. So, until next time, until our next episode, we will see you later. I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And please join us next time. And remember to stay disturbed. Bye. Bye.